My people, my people, it is time to record the Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. I'm Marshall Pruitt. I do enjoy our weekly gathering here. So many of you I get to meet at the various events. And yeah, I just love this. It is a heck of a bunch of fun. It's about 7, 10 p.m. on a Tuesday night. Do these for about an hour or so. Sometimes they run a little bit over, but that's the goal yet again tonight. So the first weekend, we haven't had an IndyCar race in a while. Season's over. Alex Pillow, your two-time champ. Marcus Armstrong, your rookie of the year. We've had some other fun things happen over the last week or so. Can tell you that, wow, I am so happy to be home. Six straight weekends of events. There were, I forget however many, but yeah, had a Monterey reunion vintage event in there to cover. Uh, what else? Just got home from IMSA's Battle on the Bricks at Indianapolis. And I guess I'm not very good at looking at calendars, y'all, because for some reason I thought I had eight weekends in a row. And indeed, I have this weekend off. And then the following weekend, it's actually four days, might even be five days long if a video shoot trying to arrange with Porsche comes together. Back to Monterey for Porsche Rennsport. That is their every couple of years celebration of all things Porsche Motorsport and history. That'll be going this weekend after next. Uh, yeah, so busy week this week. Got home Monday at, I don't know, around noon, 11.30, something like that. Was up at 4.45 Monday morning, I think. Yeah, caught that 7 a.m. flight. And so was so exhausted from the weekend. Got into Indianapolis on Wednesday, I think it was. And we rocked it out uh, with a new video initiative uh, asked for by IMSA, which is really awesome. It's myself, my dear, dear friends at CoForce working together to create IMSA's first ever digital video news service, feature service, whatever you might call it. Just bringing what we've done so many times this year, whether it's on the IndyCar side with Racer, at Le Mans with Garage 56, which was an all IMSA thing, uh, wanted us to get this going a little early. Been wanting to do this, kick it off for the 2024 season, but said, hey, got a couple of events left in 2023 since this is brand new. Why don't we do it, go hard, learn from it, make some mistakes, tune and tweak and you name it. Uh, and that's what we did last weekend we went nuts on Thursday and Friday. I think we ended up filming something like 8 to 10 uh, videos. Not all of them meant for rolling out during the Friday through Sunday IMSA event at Indianapolis. Many of them evergreen that will roll out between now and Petit Le Mans, the middle of October season finale for IMSA. But anyway, so that's what I was busy doing last weekend, but got to see many of y'all many many members of the prude listener group who are just such big parts of my heart uh christy perdana as usual arranging great gatherings and meetups and whether it was ryan alex nicks jamie steve bonnick and his tribe 
and so on and so forth. Saw Chris Ward, gave him a hug. Uh, just lots and lots of great friends, folks who become like family. And I don't mention this as often as I should, so pure failure on my part, but the Pruday listener group that formed around the podcast, but just become something where a lot of folks who love racing have come together and found their tribe, as they tell me, and they communicate daily on a dedicated Discord channel for the Pruday, also do a lot of meetups at the event. So what I hear from a lot of folks, which is really cool and just warms my heart, is we all love going to motor races. Sometimes it's a struggle to find a friend or a family member who wants to go with you. And while you're there and you love the racing, you just wish you had a family of your own. And that's one of the cool things that has developed with the Pruday over the last three, four, five, however many years it's been going of folks who get together and watch the races together and go to the paddock and just really, uh, it's kind of a mobile friends and family group on top of the daily discord chats and fun and silliness there. So if you want to join, send an email to pruderocks at gmail.com. That's the first four letters of my last name, P-R-U-E, the word day, D-A-Y, P-R-U-E-D-A-Y, at, or good Lord, I'm getting it wrong, pruderocks, P-R-U-E-D-A-Y-R-O-C-K-S, pruderocks at gmail.com. Send them an email, you get a little automated response, They'll give you instructions on how to join the Discord group, and off you go, and you'll be a member of that family. All are welcome, and that's the thing that I love about this. And I feel quite proud to say, if you want to find the most diverse group of people at a IndyCar event or IMSA or similar, they tend to be the group that is the Prude. And truly, just so proud of them so welcoming of everybody and i do mean everybody and that's uh yeah that's something that makes me so so happy so send an email to pruderocks at gmail.com get in on the fun i'm not a member nor should i be that's uh for everyone else but me they refer to me as dad some of them which is hilarious got to see cassie and craig and their daughter and just all kinds of amazing folks this past weekend so Love y'all, appreciate y'all, and what else can I tell you? Heck, I don't know. Uh, spent the last day and a half on the phones, and uh, it was a little bit funny yesterday because having gotten up at whatever it was, 2, 3 a.m. equivalent California time, got home, and oh, my gas tank was empty by mid-afternoon, and my wife looked at me, took pity, might have giggled a little bit, and I was snoring pretty quickly. So Monday was a bit of a wash, but yeah, got up. Early this morning, uh, 7.16 now, I've been up since about 4.30, yeah, and uh, it's great conversations with folks. Some of those stories are still to be published here, uh, but yeah, great to confirm something I'd heard a couple times last weekend, that Ed Carpenter Racing has apparently narrowed down its options, its choices for that number 20 Chevy, full-time capacity. Oliver Askew, Christian Rasmussen will both test next Monday at Barbara Boner Sports Park. And don't know how long it's going to take. Don't know the exact criteria. They will be filtering them through, but we expect one of those two kids, they're still kids, 
to get that opportunity. And there is a, I would say, remote chance. I spoke with Ed today. He didn't give me a lot of hope that it would happen, but there's still a small chance. One of the other things I'd heard about, and he acknowledged at least was a thing or a concept, was the driver who doesn't get the full-time opportunity might have an opportunity to join Ed in that number 33 Chevy that he drives on the ovals and do some driving of that on the road and street courses. So anyways, some good stuff there. Also, if you have skills that you think are relatable and actionable right away to work in motor racing, might pay a visit to racer.com, put up a story today about Chip Ganassi racing, being in super hiring mode, they have 10 positions posted right now, and I think there will be more. Uh, Able Motorsports is hiring as well, included them in the story. Spoke with my friend Ryan Weatherford from Andretti Auto. Oh, I stopped it. I didn't go all the way through. Andretti Global. I almost said Andretti Autosport. Andretti Global. She said they do indeed have uh, some positions they're looking to fill, so... I'm going to keep asking around to teams, see if and what their job postings situation might be like. And if those are things that are publicly available for review or otherwise, I'll probably do another story or two just to help make that known because we need more of y'all in the sport to keep it going and add fresh, new, young-ish talent because there's plenty of uh, us older folks who've been around for decades. So... Uh, what else? I don't know. I got plenty more to write about. Uh, a couple calls to make in the morning. And then, yeah, actually tomorrow, Wednesday is going to be about a half day, or it might be today, Wednesday, when you're listening to this or whenever. Um, we will be doing the hour to hour and a half drive, although it's only 29 miles away, uh, to San Francisco. Uh, got a appointment with our new oncologist who we really, really love. And the cool thing having lived in San Francisco for, I don't know, 10 years, maybe more. Uh, it's been a while since I've lived there, but it's a, a hugely important and rich time of my life that I loved. Um, can't wait to get back to see it, to experience it, uh, and where our oncologist is located by, <laughs> by chance is in one little pocket of the city that is not just insanely busy. So while there's plenty of traffic getting there and it takes a while and all that, um, it's actually a somewhat chill little area, which is a rarity because that city is always moving fast. So anyways, looking forward to that. And yeah, what else? Oh, I don't know. It'll be a busy rest of the week, but am looking forward to having a weekend of just being a bit of a bum. So with all that said, why don't we go ahead and dive into your questions brought to us by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Discount Tire, and all of these questions assembled by our dear pal, Jerry Suddeth. We got to see last weekend, had some fun with Jerry. He's a huge fan of the Turner Motorsport team and was able to uh, bring him over and Introduce him to BMW legend and longtime Turner driver, Bill Oberlin. That team loves tacos as much, if not more, than Colton Herta. 
Jerry was wearing his Turner Motorsport powered by tacos t-shirt. And by the time we got there Sunday, about an hour-ish before the race, crew were making lunch in the garage. And what were they making? Tacos. So <laughs> told Jerry, that's my friend Jay O'Connell, who you might remember from back in the day, from the uh, Ray Hall and Lanigan IndyCar side. Jay O'Connell's been with them for a while now at Turner. Saw Jay, showed Jerry and his friend uh, Mike Portaro around one of their BMW M4 GT3s. Just one of the super cool things. Like, you know, these folks are friends. The garages are my friend. And again, I got to admit, like when we're at the track, IndyCar race, whatever, like I truly love being able to take y'all into the places that a ticket won't get you. There's nothing you can buy that will get you under the tent, looking into a car, being shown stuff. But it's like, if I can't do that, what the heck good am I and what reason am I here if can't bring you inside the places that <clears throat> I love, that I come from, um, that I think y'all want to be in as well. So just really cool to uh, bring Jerry inside. And he made tacos, Turner tacos, and ate Turner tacos and posed for photos with Jay and Bill. And yeah, so uh, try and do this as much as I can. I'm not always able, but I am most of the time. So just future note. Uh, if you're going to be at Petit Le Mans, IMSA season finale at Road Atlanta next year at Daytona for the Ro- Rolex 24, Sebring for the 12-hour, IndyCar for St. Pete, Texas, wherever, wherever, wherever. Um, you want to see behind the scenes. I don't know if that's a perk uh, of being a member of the Day, but join the Day. Um It's a good tribe, and I guess... That makes it easiest for me to say, hey, let me come show you the cool things um, because we can. All right, our man Jerry uh, put the list together. We're going to rock through as many as we can. Uh, first one is from Garen Porter. Garen, great again to see you at good old Gateway, a.k.a. Worldwide Technology Raceway. Um, say really nice things to open. Hope all is well with my wife and our cats. So I know we are witnessing something special in Scott Dixon. I don't always like comparing different generations or even sanctioning bodies. But what would Dixie need to do, if anything, to become recognized as the greatest? Is it winning another championship, another 8500 victory or two? Or is AJ Foyt destined to be labeled as the greatest? <sighs> Legendary status is something that once you have it, like Mario Andretti, folks might beat their win record, championship record, qualifying record, you name it. But once you are cemented as a legend and you have time added to that, Garen, decades and decades worth, it's hard to dislodge those folks. So the argument becomes, all right, Dixie wins eight championships, becomes the all-time leader there, uh, wins the most races, wins the most everything. Numerically, statistically, he'll be hailed as the greatest, and you will hear a loud, loud call from those who grew up during the A.J. Foyt era. Those would be our, our the elder members of our 
IndyCar family saying, nope, not a chance. Uh, all the bones that guy broke, all the fires he was in, all the bee attacks, all the death-threatening stuff that happened to him, no safer barriers, uh, just constant mayhem and injury and risk. Uh, there were no crushable panels on a car. There was no this, no that. Won all these championships, won all these dirt races and this track races and that track races, all the Indy 500s. Come on, man. You know, today you run into anything at a million miles an hour and you'll walk away from it. Uh, doesn't even compare. Don't give me that nonsense. It's the way things tend to happen. So I just think to Michael Schumacher in this capacity, Garen, I grew up the first Formula One World Championship that I remember we celebrated in the Pruitt household was Mario Andretti's in 1978. I would have been like seven years old. My dad, massive Mario Andretti fan, just right. It was a huge thing. And this is when Formula One came into my world somewhat but started reading about it and following the reports and road and track magazine and similar. And like my guy, the guy that I grew up with as my first hero before he was a world champion was Ayrton Senna watched him consumed all of it was the world's biggest Senna fan. Um, three time formula one world champion could have been more lost his life in 1994 right around the time this Michael Schumacher guy was coming on the scene and he was the, uh, the young punk and he was destined for greatness. Like we've never seen. And I can tell you having been there and followed intently throughout Schumacher's entire career, I still have my VHS cassette tape recording his debut at Belgium at Spa in 1991, still have that VHS tape. So again, knew about him beforehand, F3, knew about him watching his Mercedes Group C stuff, et cetera, et cetera. But, right, was a big fan of his coming in. Just given a little bit of this background, Garen, because having watched Schumacher from his very first F1 race to his very last, seen him amass all those championships set all the records that he did a lot of folks a lot of folks who were around that era point to him and those numbers and say look at all the records and statistics he has best formula one driver ever and elder fans who saw jim clark win his three championships in the 1960s will laugh themselves to hysteria saying Schumacher's the best. Are you kidding me? Senna's the best. Are you kidding me? Hamilton Verstappen and so on. It's Jim Clark. And I tell you right now, there's nothing that a Senna or a fit Emerson Fittipaldi, uh, Jackie Stewart, so on. Alan Prost, Michael Schumacher could do to dissuade anybody who saw Jimmy Clark drive and win those titles. And you back it up from there. And those who saw Juan Manuel Fangio do all that he did will just fall apart 
in hysteria again, suggesting that anyone other than Fangio is the greatest. So a little bit of time and context there, brother. And it will take, sadly, for those who are the ardent Foyt fans or even Mario fans to, uh, to pass for Dixon to have a bit of a lane of his own. So I don't know what that timeline is, but that timeline isn't now. And I hope I'm still here decades from now because I will absolutely say I did see Mario race latter years of his career. Same with Foyt. I don't have the firsthand knowledge to seen them run in their true peak, so I can't speak to that. But I can say I've seen many champions that have come, and none of them since those two are anywhere close to Scott Dixon. I shouldn't say anywhere close. There are some who are extremely close, Dario Franchitti being one of them. But Dixon's, Dixon's our Foyt. Dixon is our Andretti. It's just with... AJ here, Mario here. It's hard to position him in front of them because that's something that time will do naturally. Uh, Patrick Gaffney. How you doing, Patrick? Say, what are your thoughts on IndyCar moving closer to some sort of franchise system like NASCAR? You say, I do think it could work, but what I would really like to see is the license being for both IndyCar and Indy NXT, that's a great call. Say, last place in IndyCar, you move down to NXT next year. You won NXT, congrats. You get to move up. Say, I'd like to see some motivation to win from lower performance teams and some more excitement to the end of the season. Give a little more importance to NXT. Your thoughts? Great questions here, Patrick. I do, I've never really thought of it in that context. The soccer as we call it here in america or football internationally the relegation concept i don't understand soccer slash football on an international stage enough to fully know all the mechanisms or when i say all mech all mechanisms any mechanisms but i am aware of the relegation concept of hey if you're up here in the top tier don't play well enough lose enough matches well depending on wherever it is in the world this league happens to exist, you could indeed be relegated down to, you know, the B or the C or the D or the whatever level, whatever it's called. It's an interesting one. There's a volatility to this where I couldn't see that work in this system simply because if you're ramping up or let's say you are an existing IndyCar team, and you're not a great IndyCar team, but you're an IndyCar team nonetheless. Well, your annual budget for getting into the hybrid era, probably going to be in the seven to seven and a half million per year range. That's what I'm hearing as a projection for the kind of average minimum for a good, good program. Certainly it's a higher number for the, the bigger, better and stronger programs, but you're looking at 12 to 15 people per entry, right? So that's the crew, all the support staff, etc. It's not including management, not including HR department and some of these other things, but 
Um, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of people. If you don't perform well enough to stay in the IndyCar League, and you get relegated to Indy NXT, well, all of a sudden, you're looking at a budget of $1.1 million to $1.4, and you are slashing your staff by two-thirds. Say you do really well and win that NXT championship. Well, now all of a sudden you're needing to go find uh, triple, quadruple, quintuple your budget and go rehire two-thirds of the staff. And I can speak from existence or from existence, from experience, getting cut, getting downsized, change of plans, you know, unless you love the team and oh my gosh, it was the best ever. Uh, those things are a little hard to overlook. Uh, might be a little bit salty. You're definitely probably not going to get back the same quality of folks, right? Um, I think this is, as much as it's interesting to ponder, Patrick, I think this kills a lot of teams because for the ones that aren't great, well, there's no rule preventing you from being a great IndyCar team. Do I like the idea of what we have now, which is a leader circle program that says we will reward the best, what, however many entries we have, uh, the best... 70 ish percent of y'all top 22 get leader circle contracts rest do not i like that because there is certainly an incentive to perform at a higher level now of course most teams do their absolute best to perform at their best not so much just talking though patrick about how hard you competed on any individual weekend it's the choices you make there's some teams, not many, but some teams with race engineers who I and others within IndyCar, who some of them are race engineer friends, some are mechanics, some are chief mechanics, who we just every now and then go, how does that person still have a job? It's not because they're trying to be mean, but if a person has no history of success, or excellence and yet keeps getting a job and a team keeps employing that person and that entry is perennially bad well you can try as hard as you want in that race and that driver can give you a thousand percent effort behind the wheel but if you've made decisions going into the season where you say well the person in charge of making the car fast it's not particularly adept at doing that. Well, you've already chosen to limit your competitiveness. Not every midfield or smaller team is able to hire a Julian Robertson or a this or that, right? Amazing, great engineer. Realize not every team's able to, whether it's from a financial standpoint, can't afford them, or as is more often the case, engineers going, uh, nope, <laughs> I'm not getting anywhere near you. Your team has a reputation for uh, doing things in a half-assed way or 
spending as little as possible and all these things conspire against success but bottom line just to close here patrick it's an option and some teams take those options and there's always reasons behind them right none of these things are done by mistake a team owner could be trying to save money team owner is mad or feels like they're having to put in too much of their own uh yada 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 um so i hear you but and as fascinating as it is but yeah let's not do relegation because we're gonna strip a lot of teams out of open wheel racing if we do that um i think the the basic concept of the franchise system or charter or whatever i've heard a number of ideas when i did the story about this gaining some traction about a month ago whatever it was it was hammered into me over and over again that these are just talking points nothing has been decided these again just a lot of the stuff is spitballing so don't take it as any more than that but some of the proposed ideas of teams having an asset their leader circle contract is effectively their charter their franchise that is something that has value that could be transferred has a dollar value to it Um, i think that's an interesting way of going about things i don't know if i love that idea if bill abel decides he is going to go full-time indycar well that means he is committing his business probably committing a lot of his own money to get things started uh committing a lot of things to make this happen should he be without a franchise stake in year one or should he have the ability as a newcomer to buy one i would think if you want to create equity this should be something that if folks want to invest in indycar these small business owners even if some of the owners are billionaires these are still small businesses if they want to commit to indycar and be there full time and have that be their thing if you're going to make the presence in indycar something that has a value i think newcomers should be able to acquire if again they demonstrate that they're serious and real and going to make a strong effort to be a quality team how exactly do you determine what the existing teams the one who make indycar what it is the ganassis and dreddies mclarens carpenters shanks and so on that's one i don't fully understand i know mark miles told me he wasn't sure if they would actually need to spend money to get a franchise or if it would be awarded to them since they're already here and already invested there's some question marks here but i do like the idea because it makes something serious that has been unserious the money being spent by indycar team owners is serious and has been for a really long time the fact that there's been no business link between the series and its entrance 
other than those who've earned those roughly million dollar leader circle contracts that's been the only real tie but that leader circle doesn't belong to the team in the sense of it being an asset that if they said hey you know i want to get out i'm going to sell my leader circle and get a million bucks for it or whatever it might be there's nothing there so creating something where indycar team owners can say to their sponsors and investors that hi this is a thing (laughs) uh this could be worth i don't know how much money but something so if you join in with us there's real potential for some earnings or whatever it is if if and when we were to sell or if we were able to grow and become far more successful we could sell a stake in this and a percentage of that and receive money for whatever it is 25 percent ownership in this franchise um this is an area that has been long overlooked so i'm glad that it appears we're headed there i just don't know exactly when uh peter carlson some great folks whose names i don't know if i've read or read often here so peter thanks for sending this in say given that ganassi is adding a fifth car and as far as i know not cutting any of their sports car programs very curious as to know how they're staffing that effort well, as mentioned earlier, Peter, they're hiring. They're hiring a whole bunch of people. Um, and I think that will continue. So, yeah, they're looking to onboard lots of folks. Another thing that they do, which is pretty cool, is they are very much internal promotion first uh, oriented. Now, you might say, but aren't they hiring a bunch of folks? Yes, but... I'm talking about the, you've been an assistant race engineer for a couple of years, Angela Ashmore, on that number eight entry, uh, driven by Marcus Erickson comes to mind. She's been in a assistant role for a couple of years now. She's excellent. Uh, The team's had her looking after the race engineering side uh, during the hybrid testing when Ganassi's been running honda's hybrid entry there um could angela be someone that is promoted to be the race engineer of kiffin simpson's car or who knows if she might be moved to someone else's car and that race engineer might look after kiffin that's the type of place that they are hey we need they do a team manager type role for each of their entries um who would get that position right sure they can go hire a chief mechanic from uh some other team to be the chief mechanic on the car and hire someone to be the team manager slash race strategist on it but i know that they will look internally and wherever they feel someone is ready elevate that person and so looking at the job postings that they have a number of those read to me like aha you're looking to backfill a position because you're going to promote someone from within and you obviously need to fill that position they're leaving behind. So uh, they're doing lots of hiring, but yeah, the other part of this, which uh, Mike Hole told me about is they're meeting to later this week to determine um, who from inside might be getting that promotion um jamie rowe kind of you to say nice things at the beginning of your 
submission here. Uh, you say, miss the races you weren't at the track, which is sweet of you. And you say, does the fifth Ganassi car drive a nail in the coffin for Andretti's fourth entry? You say, can't see Honda doing 16 cars. Um, let me answer that first. You got a couple more after this. Got a call into Honda Performance Development on this topic and did not connect with uh, HPD President David Salters today, but I'll try again in the morning. And this is the exact question because I've gotten it many, many, many times. Oh, funnily enough, just as I'm saying this, got a text from uh, our man Salters uh, saying he'll ring me in the morning. So I'll have a better answer. Truly, it's kind of hilarious. Thanks, Salters. That guy's awesome, by the way. Um, Yeah, hey, I'll know more about this in the morning, uh, I think. Keep in mind, if that's a undecided topic, David will say it's undecided. So uh, I may have an answer, but the answer may not be one that is giving us what we were looking for. But regardless, um, here's a couple things that I understand. Mike Holt didn't really want to talk about this part. Fair enough. As of not last week, but I guess week before, leading into Monterey, a private-ish select media i should say event with chip ganassi uh he was asked are you guys set for next year right four cars could you do a a fifth car for indy and he panned that idea uh did not seem interested in doing a fifth car for indy and i again uh, i wasn't there uh one or two of my racer colleagues were uh, was actually on the phone with them this morning on the topic about this, and one of them read back Chip's responses, and it seemed pretty clear as Chip spoke, whatever that was, Friday at Monterey, that they were at four cars. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I know I am of the mind, and I think everybody else was of the mind, that they were going to be a four-car full-time team next season. I know I'd written earlier in the year. It's just a little bit of background, Jamie, to maybe help fill in some of the question marks. I know I'd written early in the year. I don't know, remember exactly when, maybe March or April or something in a silly season update of some sort, that Kiffin Simpson, Ganassi development driver, will be going to IndyCar. It's not a question. The only part that is undefined is whether that will be 2024 or 2025 and that was all based on speaking with the team asking that question uh i know the kids headed to indycar that's the plan i don't think anybody you know that part should not be a secret to anybody they're not working with him just because they want to make him the best indian xt driver and then cut bait uh the kids family and their their businesses uh, a very important part of the funding puzzle at the Chip Ganassi Racing Team. So this is a multi-year, long-term plan they have for Kiffin. He's going to IndyCar, just a question of when, and asked again earlier in the year, whenever that was exactly, what are you looking for? What, what are the things that will say yay or nay? And 
He's told, look, I don't know if we have a specific thing. He must hit this target or that target, and that will trigger the move to IndyCar. No, it was, we're going to have him doing a lot of racing, and we'll see where he's at, where we feel he's at as we get towards the end of the season. And if we think he needs more time, then he'll get more time. And if we feel he's ready, then we're going IndyCar racing. All right, cool, right? Got to wait and see. Um, had a conversation with a, a senior team member. Wasn't on the record, so keep names and all that to myself. But had a conversation a couple weeks ago. Went pretty clear along the lines of sweet kid rooting for him shown a lot of improvement in his second year of nxt done well in sports cars obviously but in the open wheel discipline that matters most for judging whether he'd be ready to go to the top step of open wheel i haven't seen anything to tell me the kid's ready and fairly confident the person i was speaking with was in complete agreement been hearing and again i'm positive i wasn't the only one hearing this but i've been hearing for a while maybe more end of july throughout august that there was preparations internally for going to five cars only makes sense to do that right not sure if you will but you don't want to <laughs> be totally caught unawares and so just kept hearing that like hey ganassi you know could be going to five could be going to five and i'm like yeah again i know there's a possibility but i keep looking for the indicators from the on-track performance that's oh, a pole position oh great job oh geez he just turned one lap one blew it and finished the first lap in ninth place or whatever you're going like all right well we still got some more to learn um just didn't see anything to make me say the internal planning or preparation for going to a fifth was going to be needed. And so with all that in mind, I had totally written it off. I think plenty of others had too. Something happened in the last week for that to change because others I've spoken with on background were equally surprised. Um, so, I don't know the reasons. I'd tell you if I did. I don't know what caused this to go from no expectation for it to happen to boom, it's happening. But this came as a surprise. I think I mentioned, wrote that in my little news story of this was expected maybe more for 2025. So teams being a bit defensive about this, I know they know. There's some sensitivity to this, right? Pretty much the only thing I have seen commented by folks is he ain't ready. Um, I would not argue against that. Would say that piece that I'm working on might explain how you wouldn't necessarily have to be all the way ready coming out of NXT. Um, to move to IndyCar with more confidence or more confidence among us if IndyCar's testing rules were more accommodating for rookie drivers coming out of NXT. So 
We want our young drivers to get every piece of education they need to demonstrate that they can win or podium frequently before they come to IndyCar to give fans some semblance of belief that, boy, they really are meant to be there. No, none of that matters, right? Someone has the ability to fund an IndyCar program for themselves, whether we agree or disagree, whether they should be there, totally immaterial, but at least for those of us on the, the fan side and media side, there are some things IndyCar could consider changing that would maybe change some opinions of uh, those coming out too early from NXT. But anyways, um, that's a little bit of background there. I don't know if anybody really asked about the uh, I, the iLot. Good Lord. Uh, Kiffin Simpson stuff, but there you go. Does this drive the nail? I don't know. Um, continue to hear that what I've mentioned before, potential women's initiative-related fourth entry, I've not heard that that is dead. Mentioned, I think, at Laguna in one of the videos that the Stingray Rob conversations at Andretti had come to a conclusion unsuccessful uh, in him being able to join the team, but um, have heard there's still a possibility of that uh, fourth car being on track. Here's the thing. If Chip Ganassi says, hey, maybe you weren't expecting it, but I'm going to need another lease, Honda doesn't say no. <laughs> not to your defending champions. Not to your best team. Also, Kiffin Simpson's going to be an IndyCar for a long time, however long he and his family want him to be there. So whether we feel the kid is truly ready for it right now or not, this isn't some, hey, we need an extra lease for someone who might be a bit of a fly-by-night and be out of here in a year or two. Um, this kid, 18 years old, could retire with Ganassi. So if you look at the long runway he is likely to have, um, whether it's this year or next, or this coming season, or the one following, I should say, it's going to happen anyway. Does that mean Andretti can no longer have a fourth engine? I would think not. Salters will hopefully give me some sort of direction on that tomorrow. If this is a random driver going into the fourth car no disrespect to stingray rob but if ganassi needs that fifth and that could put a fourth engine in jeopardy for andretti do i think honda bends over backwards to accommodate stingray rob maybe not if it is something that has a wider appeal than just running someone who can bring a truckload of money if this is something where young female driver could have an opportunity to do something big in the series noting that indycar in 2023 had precisely zero women racing in the series full-time even part-time i don't consider a one-off at indy part-time that's just one race that Catherine Legg did. Honda has been pretty supportive of 
women's initiatives and racing i would think if this were to be funded properly and the driver in question someone who they felt uh could properly represent themselves and the brand they'll make some things happen however they need to to support it at least going on their history of doing such things um let's move on to what else you say related seems like there could be issues that coin with hmd rumored to be pulling out and focusing on nxt in the rwr car not sniffing the leader circle is there a chance there is one or zero coin cars on the track next year i would put that at zero percent jamie uh the driver daniel frost who i've been told countless times for quite a while uh is signed to the team again team isn't saying that and he's not saying that just been told that by a lot of people who pretty smart um the funding package said to come with that kid is stout so yeah i think he'll be okay uh the team will be okay uh after that a number of other drivers who could potentially land there devlin de francesco being one of them coin is one of a couple teams they're talking to and devlin would certainly be able to bring more than adequate funding so i have no concerns for dale coin being able to keep both cars on track jamie and with folks who can make sure that they are properly funded for one season if not many seasons uh let's see uh luis calderon it's marshall hope you're well thank you brother it's a nice 2023 season the biggest number of cars in recent memory my question is regarding the limit of entries in the series is it a real possibility to reach for 2024 he says best wishes from columbia yeah i think 28's about all indycar says they can handle so yeah um yeah will indycar find a way if there's more maybe uh it's really only one or two tracks i know toronto's the obvious one where you go hey we're just only have so many pit boxes uh but yeah we're kind of at that place obviously we'll see if there are any reduction in entries the aforementioned andretti do they go from four to three who knows but if carpenter decides to put a road and street course driver in his 33 entry we get that back plus we have an extra one from ganassi so yeah i don't think we're gonna have any fewer than 27 but there is certainly a possibility for uh 28 and who knows maybe even 29 uh let's see where do we go next steve bonnick how are you steve great to see you last weekend brother um i'm gonna re-ask this is cal mylock gonna get screwed out of a decent seat don't believe so uh of the folks i need to ring when i get up one of them is ricardo Junkos. i've heard that callum's place in the team is good but i need to call and ask the man himself um yeah feel like i went into this pretty heavy last week so i don't want to repeat stuff but i think things are going to be okay there um augustine returns and callum 
is in a position to race that guy super hard, do I think he's going to change anything in order to avoid drawing the wrath of Augustine's many fans? I do not. Um, it's been a change at the team since the season ended. It's another thing I need to uh, talk to Ricky about. Um, this is a fascinating one, Steve. And not, things that are fascinating aren't always good. Um, let's talk about this more next week. I think I'll know more to share some deeper insights. So if you remember, because I probably won't, fire in something and uh, we'll come back to this. Uh, JJ Gertler. How you doing, JJ? Uh, great to see you, by the way, in Monterey. Says the talk of Santino Frucci returning to Foyt is interesting, given the reputation he had before IndyCar. Has Santino turned out to have matured some? Has he had any particularly any particular mentors in the paddock? Not that I know of. Uh, on the mentors part, uh, I've heard that him kind of moving out living on his own has has only been you know positive thing i think that's usually the case for most people right spend a lot of time uh, growing up parents thoughts and whatever often get taken on as one's own sometimes you get out into the world and see it from other perspectives maybe that helps improve your worldviews i don't know um I wouldn't attach things that happened with him in 2017, 2018 to who he is today, just because he's young enough to where I don't think it's fair to permanently attach idiocy of youth in particular, unless you continue to see examples of that idiocy year after year afterwards. And least from what i've observed with the kid i'd like to think i'm have a decent enough close enough relationship with him claiming to know him better than anybody <coughs> anybody else but i feel like he's grown up a fair amount still fun still young um still his boisterous self but i have seen him grow up uh, I have seen him mature. The part that I've written about this in the mailbag, which should be coming out Wednesday morning, the part that I'm not sure about is has he matured into a team leader? Because that's what the Foyt team needs. They can hire plenty of people who can operate a motor racing vehicle at a high rate of speed and get good results that's not the shortage teams at a place where what they need more than anything i can identify on the driver's side right not talking about infrastructure and need a better person in this position or that what i see that they need to take a step forward having gone through multiple years now of rebuilding and rebuilding and rebuilding and young drivers right I mean, last year, the driver lineup was a rookie in Kyle Kirkwood and 
Dalton Kellett, sweetheart of a guy, not a team leader. Kyle Kirkwood, really good. Rookie. Definitely has strong opinions about what the car needs to go quickly. Not a team leader as a rookie. Totally revamped team. Santino Ferrucci. Benjamin Peterson. Benjamin, not a team leader. Rookie, same situation. Not a team leader. Santino, got some years, but had to be the team leader by way of being the veteran, but there's a difference between being the de facto team leader and being someone who truly leads the team. Prior to Kirkwood was our guy, Sebastian Bourdais. Definitely a team leader. Also a bit of a ball buster. Team like Foyt. A little bit of a sensitive team, right? Not used to being told how to do things and when to do them and etc. I don't know if that fully fit with them. I don't know if it was fully received. I know that it didn't seem like they acted upon a lot, but just getting to the close here in this, JJ. If Santino returns, and I would welcome seeing him return, I think we need to see a louder, more vocal, hey, I'm going to risk everyone liking me (laughs) i'm going to get into more areas of the team to share thoughts on how i think things need to be better here or there or levels held to a higher standard the same time there's a lot of knocks on santino as a professional not saying i heard them this past season but before definitely uh of him not conducting all manners of his professional self to the highest highest level being a little younger a little more immature not taking things too seriously so just seems to me that as this team is getting better and has this great opportunity with penske they're going to need someone leading the drivers who's also leading the team and doing it in a vocal but constructive and helpful manner i don't know if he's there yet but if he's brought back and he is the veteran driver among whomever's in the other car uh i think that's going to be an important part for the team to take that next step uh brett keys resubmitting do you think mclaren would consider being the third engine manufacturer even if it was a rebad chevy they seem to be the team with the ability to hire necessary engineering support no question brett that mclaren has the financial capability to do this i know they've been asked i know they've been courted heavily i've heard nothing to suggest that it interests them why i don't think they see the value they compete in formula one realize they're not an engine manufacturer in f1 but the mclaren name brand the automotive side of mclaren separate from the racing side uh, great linkage there lots of promotions going on with the mclaren automotive brand through their f1 also pretty active in global sports car racing gt specifically racing actual mclaren road car models modified for racing pretty in 
tense growing of the belief that McLaren will be getting involved in top tier prototype racing, right? Whether that's the LMH formula or the GTP formula that we could be seeing McLaren there as well. They race in North America five times with F1, three times in the US of A, one in Canada, one in Mexico. Uh, they're not lacking in awareness as a racing team or an automotive brand. So it's in those areas where you go, well, why would we spend 10 plus million a year on supplying engines to IndyCar? Well, we would need to create a new level of awareness for our road car brand to sell more McLarens. They're making them as fast as they can go. Uh, that's not a problem. There are no McLarens sitting unsold uh, on any lot that I'm aware of. And then there's the awareness part, right? Well, okay, maybe we're not suffering from selling, but we're just too small and boutique of a brand, and we need a high-level thing in North America to raise our awareness. Well, <laughs> Lando Norris... Good old Oscar Piastri. I mean, those guys probably get as much publicity here while racing in Singapore or anywhere else as they as any IndyCar driver gets. So again, the McLaren name brand and the linkage to its automotive group. Um, yeah, <laughs> just saw that the Singapore Grand Prix was something like the highest rated on ESPN in, I don't know, ever or second or some crazy number uh, from last weekend. So, yeah, you just look for the things, brother, that would validate such a move and such an expenditure, and you look for the voids, and you go, well, hey, would this be a real value to us in these known areas that need to be solved? And you go, nope already solved all good any money spent on this with all that in mind would be a waste and wasting money right now is certainly not something any automotive brand can get away with uh andrew miller asking uh when will we be getting hybrid rules that's a great question and i don't know uh because the testing is ongoing for at least another month or so um yeah, I mean, they're just testing today at Road America, and then they they just came from over there, and now they're going over here. Uh, I mean, I've got the testing schedule. was asked to keep that to myself, but I can tell you uh, they're putting in a lot of miles. So they're still figuring out a lot of this stuff. And with that in mind, yeah, I don't expect to see any of that published before, you know, shortly before teams start receiving their first 2024 spec engines uh, and to be honest to start it might just be 2023 spec which isn't going to be particularly different at all from what's coming next year but before teams receive their full energy recovery system package um it's supposed to be end of the year right um i think this is going to get pushed uh, late late into the year because admittedly there's no reason to rush to lock anything down 
until they get close to shipping and teams receiving those items, installing everything and going testing. And even then it still might be open, right? Hey, you know how we do this, what we allow to happen, what we don't. Would I be surprised if IndyCar wanted to get more of its teams on track and running things and give some feedback? So I don't have an exact, I don't have even a vague answer, much less an exact one, Andrew, but yeah, I'm, I'm not looking for that anytime soon. Um, you also asked, should we read anything into the fact that there wasn't any public readout on the oval hybrid test, that being a gateway, uh, unlike the summer Sebring test. No, I don't think so. I'm just late in calling and saying, Hey, we should probably put together a little something here, a little summary of what's been going on lately. Um, yeah, I was there. So obviously at their invitation. So they obviously knew (laughs) they said, why don't you come and document it? And I said, great, I'll do that. That being the second, uh, effort there. We sat down in Texas to do this together as a group. Everyone said, Hey, yeah, let's do this. So, um, the participation in the Sebring test was meant to be the part two of that. And I'll see if I can get out to another test here before, uh, my travel season ends. But yeah, um, if anything, blame me and they may say no, who knows? Uh, I haven't asked, but, um, it seems to me like something that would be worth putting together into words at least. So, uh, I wouldn't read anything into it. Um, more to follow. Uh, let me wind things down here. See if I can mash the throttle uh, before we get to the red line of death that Jerry puts together for us. Uh, our pal Andy Nathan, great to see you last weekend. Says, I thought we would have heard about any potential McLaren or Hunkos alliance by now. Has the situation after Laguna made McLaren rethink that partnership? Now was in a, uh, again, select media invitation thing with uh, Zach Brown and Gavin Ward at Monterey. I think it was on Saturday morning, something like that. And Gavin clarified that it looks like the, the topic of this potential arrangement has changed being from a technical and commercial partnership, one where McLaren funds the entry and works with them on the engineering side to make sure that, again, the car is running very strongly since it would be bearing their colors and representing uh, sponsors signed to them. Uh, Gavin did say, let me see, I'm trying to remember exactly. I think it was I think it was Zach who might have said, uh, Gavin said no to the technical alliance. And whomever it was that asked for a follow-up on, well, what would it be? I think it was, I'd have to listen back, but I think it was Zach, Nathan, who said it would be a strategic alliance. And strategery is one of my favorite words, but yeah. So... A thing to follow up on again. Um, apologize if I, it sounds like I'm using the same excuse over and over again, but uh, got home from Monterey super late that Sunday night, was home Monday, Tuesday, and on a out the door at like 5 a.m. Wednesday. And so, yeah, basically right after Monterey, been stuck into 
IMSA world. So knowing that my Monday was complete garbage because I was falling asleep, which was sad. I'm just now starting to get caught up on some of these items. So uh, more to follow yet again. Uh, Ryan Caminiti, MP with the Honda Acura rumored uh, to not run three Acura Air X06s in 2024. Any potential of Meyershank Racing running three cars and IndyCar to retain those team and crew members? Amazing question. I know we're towards the end of the show, and I think we are. I know we're past an hour for sure. Um, Give you as quick a synopsis as I can. It's been known and expected for a long time that Acura would be stepping away from Meyershank Racing at the end of this season in IMSA. Not an IndyCar, but in IMSA. Nothing formal. No one has said to me from either side, we're done, we're out. But it's just one of those things that's been known, expected to be the case. Some have applied some sensitivity to this, right? You think about the dozens of people on the IMSA side. These are people's lives that we're talking about could be massively uh, affected by this so try not to go too hard on this there's a reporter who asked wayne, uh, wayne taylor last friday in a media scrum about whatever this particular reporter is always looking for something tmz-esque and I don't remember the exact thing. Someone mentioned the headline to me, but it was something about, you know, Wayne Taylor uh, expects to be the only team running Acura's next year or whatever. Um, Was then told that story disappeared. Uh, So there was some heat for that. But, you know, if my guy Wayne gave quotes saying those things, I don't know. Um, Anyways, uh, I know that there is a hope that, hey, we won the championship last year for Acura. It would make sense, right, if Marshank Racing was able to win the championship again despite losing all those points for the victory they were allowed to keep uh, despite cheating at Daytona. If they could rally back and somehow win the championship, you got to think it'd make it hard for Acura to then part ways. Like, come on, are you really going to split with your now defending back-to-back IMSA prototype champs. Last weekend's race at IMSA, uh, Indy, Jesus. Last weekend's IMSA race at Indianapolis was not kind to the team. I forget exactly where they finished. I think fifth or sixth, whatever it was. They needed to win, basically, or be on the podium strong to get a big haul of points and draw down the distance to the championship leader, that being Wayne Taylor racing with Andretti coming into the event. The Wayne Taylor team got knocked down to P2, only by three points though, but the battle for the championship up front, top three, top four, that's where the real fight exists. Enough of a gap. The gap was widened enough to the Meyershank racing team to where, yes, I believe it's mathematically possible, I think. For them to win the championship at the season finale here. But Ryan, I mean, you know, cartoon anvils are going to have to rain from the sky, take out everybody in front of them on lap one. And yeah, so 
I think those hopes are dashed of being able to win the championship and hopefully make it impossible for Acura slash HPD to bid farewell. Um, where this comes back to your question in particular is one I've been thinking about. Well, they do have some phenomenal people. Certainly don't want to let them go, but you can't exactly repurpose them all on the IndyCar side because you've already got two full cars staffed. And then we come back to this Ganassi going to a fifth. Will Andretti stick it three, possibly go to four? Who knows? Yeah, I think this is where this gets sadly overly complicated. So I've heard that there are still some potential sports car opportunities for MSR. If that were to be the case, I think that would be the more realistic scenario to keep the great folks on their sports car side employed. Do know of at least one driver. I know this because they asked me for some advice, said they had a partial budget to offer. Who should they talk to? Told them that Shank was someone definitely worth speaking with. Didn't know if MSR would be open to running a third car on a part-time basis, but you should at least talk. I know they have spoken. I don't know if it'll go anywhere, but to do that, that would obviously need HPD to say, yes, you can have a third engine for X number of races. We know Elio will be doing the Indy 500 in a third car. So could we have an engine for a few more races? There's this technical alliance with Andretti Autosport. I think it only covers two cars, plus LEO for the 500. Um, Would they need to run the car by themselves without Andretti support? How do you do that exactly? Because if you've got the data, like, I realize you might not have the dampers, but you would have the ability to, in theory, not forget what you know from a setup standpoint. So, again, it's a little bit complicated here, but... The idea of them finding someone to run, whether it's in GTP or GT Daytona or whatever, um, I think that is the easiest way for them to continue and hold on to those folks, Ryan. Um, Jamie Carr, you have a great question here. Send that one in again next week, brother. And uh, we'll get to that just because we're getting down to uh, the end of the show here. John Bailey, say, why can't? All the oval races outside the 500 be run at night. Said, is it a network TV problem? Be better for the fans. Track temps would be cooler. Air's denser for the wings, etc. Cars look better at night under the lights. I agree with you, Brother John. Yeah, this is what it comes down to. Um, A Sunday night oval race tends not to be a time unless we're talking about NFL where NBC is going to make network time available. Saturday night might be more possible depending on what other activities are going on. Um, But yeah, really and truly, in most instances, this comes down to TV and when you're being given time to air. So been told that 
Gateway is going back to a night race next year. I don't know if that means it's a Saturday night race. I hope it is. Uh, but yeah, I think that might be the only night race uh, on the schedule. Um, Brian Dyer, you got the penultimate question here. Uh, why does any car have a rule about closing the pits when a yellow flag comes out? If the accident were in the pits themselves or in the exit or the entrance of the pits, it makes total sense to close them. Yet if the accident is away from there, I don't understand the reasoning behind closing the pits. It would scuttle a lot of controversy on race control, holding off closing the pits when there's an accident by simply not closing the pits at the beginning of a yellow. Help a fan out, please. Yeah, I hear you. I don't disagree. Uh, wrote about that in this week's mailbag as well. Uh, a friend who's a race director in another series uh, was kind of calling this out too, saying, well, wait a minute. If race control is choosing when how long to leave the pits open during a incident that is deemed worthy of a caution a full course caution if the series is looking at well where is the leader on the track and do we want to let them get in and pit because they could be exposed and have their race ruined um if we don't leave it open and we'll let them get through and then we'll throw the yellow because it's not that serious of a yellow, but other times, Oh, we're closing it immediate. The subjectiveness is the thing where you go. If you see something that is worthy of a caution, then you should call for the full course caution. And it sucks for those who are on a race strategy where this is a big disadvantage to them. It totally sucks, but if you're trying to constantly protect the winner or I'm sorry, the leader of the race based on where their pit stop schedule might be while judging the seriousness of a caution. And while the car is kind of far off track, they're not really in a, in a dangerous position. So we can leave it open for another 30 seconds or however long it might be for the leader or leaders to get in and out. Um, again, it's the subjectiveness. So to me, you either, you see a yellow boom, full course, or you leave it wide open. Um, you, you, the unfortunate timing of things is a part of racing. It just is. And trying to protect against that. I get it. Trying to be nice, but this wouldn't go over in any other sport that I can think of. I mean, if you're intentionally delaying a call to try and protect the leader of a football game, of a soccer match, of a whatever, like, it's either a problem or it isn't. And if it's a problem, then call it a problem when it happens. Don't wait. Ah, it's a problem. Ah, it's not too, well, then don't throw a caution right just let that car sit way off track it's all good who cares right if it's not worthy of a caution right away maybe it's not worthy of a caution if you do think it's a caution worthy event how does waiting 30 seconds or 45 seconds how does that improve anything how does that create a, a safer situation again um it's the subjective part that drives me mad brian uh whatever the choice is open or closed just do it 
and do it instantly and be consistent and leave nothing to doubt just as you're mentioning here um we're going to close with our pal ed joris says mark miles sure was sure selling the benefit of the cw for indycar fans is this a done deal uh no uh, of course not and i'll admit i wasn't totally sure why mark kept going on and on about that um i mean you could imagine the reasons why but i know that i've spoken with enough folks who've said unless the cw is paying us hundreds of millions of dollars per year the forfeiture of ratings the tanking of ratings would be one teams would not really be able to recover from what do i mean okay indycar is rumored to be getting about 20 million dollars a year from nbc it's not huge it's a number um if indycar can double that 40 million maybe 50 million a year get that from the cw you go well hey that's great they could pass more money down to the teams for the leader circle you go great that's entirely possible maybe each leader circle instead of being roughly a million bucks maybe now it's two million oh great the annual budget though in this hybrid year is expected to be about seven and a half million if the series is getting double or more <clears throat> from another network but a network that we know for sure is going to deliver smaller ratings much smaller ratings than nbc what the series is getting for money they'll be profiting from that or limiting their losses or however we might put that even if they're able to double the leader circle triple the leader circle three million a year there's going to be a big enough wreckage done through the ratings to have effectively every sponsor i know that there's a lot of sponsors these days are that are business to business deals they're not really there for the ratings but you know the wider the audience the more exposure the better for them um you're going to damage the value to those sponsors on every entry to a point to where those sponsors will come back and say know how we were giving you pick the number uh five million a year for this entry and we were averaging a 1.2 million people, 3 million people per race. Well, the new number, I don't know, again, I'm just guessing, but the new number is 400,000 or 500,000. Well, cool, great. Uh, next year, <laughs> we'll be giving you 2 million, 2.2 million. Well, if it costs seven and a half minimum to run things properly and say you're getting three million from the leader circle and that sponsor is now giving you two million you're now millions of dollars short and if you're also known to be delivering a relatively weak television rating number which is why advertisers advertise on cars and give teams their money for advertising you're not exactly going to be able to go out and sell big money deals to other advertisers because those rating numbers are real and known and if they're small that's where small dollars come in so had this conversation heard this
from not a ton of people, but a number of folks uh, since this very thing happened of Mark mentioning the CW over and over and over again. Um, the, the hope, the true hope, is that, look, if the CW can somehow say, yep, we're going to be able to deliver at minimum what NBC is giving you, right? We're going to be able to match, if not exceed, that 1.3-ish million total audience delivery number across network, cable, streaming, whatever combined. Take it, because the ratings number will be good and sponsors will be in. But if it's just a bigger payday for the series and it allows them to pay the teams a little bit more, it's just not going to be enough. So that's the concern here. Uh, yeah, it was a curious one. Um, got some other questions in here from you, uh, Ed, about hybrids, uh, about marketing VP, uh, Andrew Howell, Dave Heisen. Got a couple in here. Kev, Kevin DeVries, uh, Right Turn Lover, Jason Gagnon, Bill Romine, Romine, Corey Johnson, great to see you, brother. Um, we don't do this very often. Jake Rose as well, good one here, uh, asking for a state of the series. Elaine Sinclair, you were one of a couple of folks wanting a road to indie type update and scuttle on what's happening and whatnot. I really, really do need to have my friend Jaron Demendal on here uh, who does an amazing job with the U.S. Feeder Series uh, content, uh, doing all this from good old Europe, nonetheless. I need to have Jaron on for a, a special episode here very shortly just talking about this exact thing. Who's doing what? Who's moving where? Who's staying here? Uh, he's truly my go-to person for all this. So, uh, But I don't make this offer very often. But if there were any questions that you sent in that I didn't get to and you want me to get to them, um, send them in again. Uh, Jerry, take as many of those as you think I can get to while getting in some, uh, some new ones as well next week. And I appreciate the time that y'all spent to write in and to listen and realize that in the beginning of the show, I said, let's go about an hour and I failed yet again, and I love doing that. And I always fail at this. And one of these years, I'll remember to not give any claims on how long the shows will last. But hey, it's the off season. In theory, there's nothing going on, so maybe you got a little more time to listen. If you want to join that group again, send that email to Pruday Rocks, P R U E D A Y R O C K S at gmail.com. Thanks again to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers torontomotorsports.com and discount tire for their support and look forward to speaking to you very soon